applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm Pastor Joel with Right Response Ministries. Today, our guest is Pastor Dustin Rudolph. Uh, He is the pastor of Del Cerro Baptist Church in San Diego, California. And our topic for this uh, conversation is church revitalization, strengthening uh, what remains. I want to just go ahead and dive right in real quick by reading a text uh, that comes to mind for this particular topic. Uh, This is Revelation chapter 3. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, uh, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. So we're talking about strengthening what remains, uh, churches that need to be revitalized. Uh, That's something that um, Dustin is currently doing. So without further ado, our guest, Dustin Rudolph, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Hey, Joel. Thanks for uh, exploring this topic. I think this is important. Um, My my name is Dustin. I've I've been a pastor at Del Cerro Baptist Church for uh, two years, June 2018. Um, Came from a a church prior to that that was in a a good situation, a a, a church that had a good grounding, good uh, foundation in the Word, and um, for whatever reason, the, the Lord was calling me to uh, a challenge. And so um, here we are. Uh, I've got a wife, four kids. My kids are um, 15, 14, or 13, somewhere in there. Um, uh, 11, 9, or 12. Yeah, I think it's 15, 14, 12, and 9. But um, they're all right around there. <laughs> So they've been here with us. Great. How long have you been in San Diego now? Uh, two years. Yeah. Two years. And you're coming from been where? In California, uh, from Washington State. So we were in Washington State before coming down here, uh, and that's the the church that we were part of. That was a a good church. A small Great. kind of um, r- more rural church, um, and the the pastor I worked with there was was fantastic. I and mean, uh, all we were really doing in that church was helping elders to elder and deacons to deacon. And um, it kind of got to the point where uh, we had two preachers and the church didn't need two preachers. Uh, We had actually a a few lay people as well who were retired ministers. And so uh, there, in many ways, I didn't need to be there. And um, the the Lord has given me thick skin and a heart for revitalization. And so that's great. Here we are. <laughs> cool. All right. So let me go ahead and just dive right in. Um, what are some of the most common challenges when it comes to revitalizing a church? Common challenges, and then maybe some of the challenges that you've you've faced. Yeah, I think common challenges, and you read guy, you know, read uh, books about revitalization, and they're all going to say basically the same thing that there are 
the church has been plateaued or in decline for a, a number of years. There are people that don't realize that that's the case. Um, and there are unbiblical power structures in place that have uh, caused the church to stagnate. And so no matter what revitalization situation you go to, there, you're going to find someone who is holding on to power uh, and he or she is not qualified for the ministry. They're not thinking with a kingdom mindset, uh, but for whatever reason, they're there. And uh, I ran into that as well. Uh, and other ministers I've talked, pastors I've talked to who have done revitalization, same sort of thing. Um, what, what are some of the reasons? Go ahead. Well, one of the other issues you're going to run into, I, I, now it's possible, but I, I doubt that you're going to run into a church revitalization situation where the word of God has been preached with authority for a number of years. Um, uh -huh. Expository preaching just doesn't, in a dying church, Th those two things, in my experience, I just haven't seen that before. You know, yeah. someone who's right. preaching with authority from from God's word in a church that that is dying. I I don't think that that computes, and so that's one of the other issues. Right. Yeah. So what what are some of the reasons why you said like a church, you know, it's dying, it's plateaued, but maybe people don't realize it, and for whatever reason, they're still there. You said like they're still there. What what? What are some of those reasons? Why, why would a church still exist, still have some, some measure of a membership showing up on the Lord's Day, week after week, potentially for years, but, but long ago went off the rails, doesn't have expositional preaching, doesn't have a discernible uh, gospel proclamation, has unhealthy, unbiblical power structures put in place. In many ways, it's, it's ceased to be a church, kind of like, you know, the, the, the churches in Revelation, right? This, this sense of, like, it, it's a church that's kind of already had its lampstand removed, or it's about to have its lampstand removed, and yet people are still there. And a lot of those people don't even, they, they, you know, a lot of the people, I think, to me, when I think of your situation, I think one of the reasons why it's so difficult is there's probably a lot of people, just even you using the language of, I, I'm here to revitalize a church, might be received as offensive by like, what do you mean revival? Our church, our church is great. Right. So, so what are some of the reasons that a church would still exist, even though it needs to be revitalized and, and people would be in, in some sense clueless to that reality? What, what happened there? Man, I, I, there, when I think about it, I, I, I have got to, to say the people that were there, there, there were several different, uh, or at least at Delsar, there were several different groups so you had people that were there for music ministry and they that was that gave them meaning you know they're they're there week in week out choir practice uh, the the choir group is in many ways like a small group the way that you know you love one another you've got community you're helping one another out uh, if someone's in the hospital that's the people that are coming to visit you it was it's a tight community and then you've got another group that serves in some other area of ministry in the church and that's a very tight group um I think in various ways, whether it's a Christian church or, or, or you know, a Christian church or some other organization, the, that community is where a lot of those people are going to find meaning and purpose. And they like being there. Yeah. 
so you can't right. fault them for that. Um, I think the the difference though is in and how how are we going to get to well this the reason that this gathering this assembly exists is for the proclamation of the gospel, not for your social club, um, personal social well being, right? No. Mm -hmm. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, so so why do some churches require revitalization? How does a church get to this point? What, what, what has to happen? What mistakes does a church make? I'm sure there's, I mean, I'm sure there's a million, but what are some of the, the big things that if a church does this, or if a church stops doing that, um, they, they are already on the decline and, and going to soon need uh, to either close their doors or be revitalized. What, what are those mistakes? Man, I, I think you and I have talked about these things before, uh, and, and you think of the nine marks of a healthy church, and, and you think if those things aren't happening, then there's going to be some issues. Um, right. First of all, the word, the word being proclaimed boldly and applied to the heart. Uh, and I, when I go back and listen to previous ministers of, of this church, previous preachers, um, they're preaching from the Bible. So this isn't... You know, for the most part, you know, nine ways to have a healthy family budget. It wasn't wasn't that type of preaching. They're preaching right. at least Bible verses. But when you hear it, and I think this is one of the things that even we can uh, be in danger of, is when it's us versus the world, you know, where we're righteous, we're the right ones, we're the ones who believe in God. Uh, and the world is evil, and so let's preach about the evils of the world. Um, not any thought that the evils of the world have invaded our church, <laughs> but just they're out there, we're in here. And so so you can get that us versus them preaching, and it becomes, it sounds Christian, you're using Bible verses, um, and, but I think the fact that there are many people in the church who are not regenerate, and are not being challenged in any way. They're very comfortable hearing right. that. Oh, I'm a part of the of the right club. I'm a part of the right group. Right. They're the out group, and in churches where I go to be reminded of that. Uh, right. That's certainly something that um, I, I I know is happening to some degree. Um, and and I try to say that I, the, the guys who are preaching here were. were Men who love the Lord. I mean, it's not. They they weren't. They weren't malicious. They weren't cowards. I think that they had been bought into a uh, just a, a a philosophy of ministry that, in the long run, harmed the church. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think that's that's one issue. I, the other thing you come in and you and you see that there's no that meaning meaningful membership isn't really there. So, yeah, there's membership, but in order to become a member, you just have to walk up front at the end of yeah. the service and say, I want to be a member, and you're a member. Um, and, and no question about whether or not you are actually a, a citizen of Christ's kingdom, no question about whether or not your life aligns with the profession of faith that you're making. Um, really easy to get in to membership. And right. getting put out of membership uh, almost never happens because there's no church discipline and there's no meaningful membership to begin with. Uh, 
that's going to cause problems in the long run. Because then then you have that idea where members are serving in the church. Well, you have unregenerate members serving the church, and then you have unregenerate members who are serving in areas of authority in the church. That's not going to go well. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I like how you're talking about preaching to the heart. Um, I, th- I think you're. I think you're right. I think both are so important. I, right now, I, I feel like there's. It's funny how we often overcompensate. The pendulum will swing too far one way or the other, and so now you know we have a lot of gospel-centered churches that preach to the heart, and in some sense only preach to the heart, like the lordship of Christ, um, His reign only goes as far as the jurisdiction of our heart and um, as though as though Christ has no lordship over culture, over politics, media, vocation, marketplace, um, all these other arenas of, of human society and life. And so there's there's uh, in some sense it seems like this gospel-centered church has been, um, a reaction, and, and I would say in large part a good reaction, a good response to the moralistic, therapeutic deeds and that good old boy, like we're the righteous ones. So what you're describing is kind of, um, I think I think the problem that the, ch- the evangelical church as, as a whole has been responding to back from, you know, the last 50, 50 yeah, so like, for you know, for the last 50 years, this moralism, you know, let's this good old boys club, let's be good, be good parents be good husbands, don't cheat on your taxes. But then that became kind of all it was. And, you know, we live in this liberal world with all these, you know, these God haters are taking prayer out of our schools. You know, they're taking the Ten Commandments. War on Christmas. Exactly. Don't forget about the war on Christmas. The war on Christmas. And then the the problem is that, like, these guys, eventually, you know, they're they're elders, right? Now, Now these guys are 60, 70 years old. And because they've got some good business practices and some gray hair and they've never cheated on their wife, you know, and they've tithed, um, you know, all of a sudden these guys are, you know, the, the, the good old boys club, right? It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of kids who are taught morality by their parents, but now they're grown up and they're leading churches, you know, like they're, they're the elders, they're the, you know, and, and, and it just seems like to me, it seems like that whole doctrine divides mantra it seems like we just had this generation that just kind of had an aversion to doctrine and, and to theology yeah. and so just emphasized morality. And now that generation grew up and they and then they became the leaders in churches. And now there's this younger generation, right? And so now we're going back and we're like where are their kids? That's the question. Exactly. Where are their kids? Their exactly. Kids are gone. And that's part yeah. of why those churches died, is because you know, normally you've got this influx of grandparents. They're, right grandkids filling their place and it's you know ideally when it's about gospel proclamation and a life changed by what jesus christ is actually doing not just in our hearts but in our lives and in our families well those churches become places where people want to grow up in but when those churches just become moralistic then you you lose generations right because they're not hearing the gospel right no you're absolutely right yeah and so that's yep. and that's why and I think when we talk about revitalization, what all that's really happening is you have exactly what you're about to say. I think if I can jump your gun, uh, guys who have discovered that what they grew up with isn't actually Christianity, 
and they're bringing that back into the churches and then there's this battle Mm -hmm. and that's that's the issue yeah you're absolutely and and the i think the reason for the battle is because uh it really is offensive because you're you're going and especially in in this i i'm sure you know if we looked at two thousand years of church history there might be some variance, but but in our particular time that God's you know providentially placed us in, what we have is we have the children, and in some cases the grandchildren, of the, the the churches we're revitalizing. It's our parents' church, it's our grandparents' church, and so you have their children and grandchildren coming back in, saying, um, "Let let me show you how it's done. You're like this is not what you what you've done." And what you've been stewarding for the last six, seven decades, um, you, you've done poorly. It's, and you know what I mean? And so I just, I can, I can see how church revitalization, I don't envy you, I guess is what I'm saying. I can see how, because you're, you're, you're the doctor coming in and, uh, and telling people that, uh, that they're sick. You, you don't have, you don't have, you have good news, but but the good news is only good after you give them the bad news. And the bad news is, uh, guys, we we have um, forsaken our first love. We've gotten away from, you know, we we need to. We don't just need to to preach moral reform. We need to preach conversion. And some of you need conversion, and that's um, that's highly offensive for somebody who's been operating. Yeah, for somebody who's especially nobody wants to hear that period, but especially somebody who thinks that they've been doing a really a really bang up job. What I was going to say earlier is just that pendulum like I think our our generation is kind of revitalizing churches, planting churches and it's gospel centered everything and it's preaching to the heart. And so I think that's what's been missing and that's where moralism kind of went, went awry um that you know, we need to get back to preaching to the heart. It's not just the big bad sinner out there in culture, but um, but envy and greed and all these kinds of things that we see at large in our culture, they also exist in our own hearts. And so we need conversion first and foremost, but then we also need repentance and faith and repentance and faith and repentance and faith. And, and so we're doing that. And now I see like, I, I, if we're not careful, I think our grandchildren are going to be rebuking us one day um, and saying, guys, you, you've got, you know, you're, you, you've got, the preaching to the heart down to a T. You can talk about envy and and the secret recesses of your heart where you're jealous and envious, um, but you just you just let culture have a have a free for all. You just like you just you you had your little church and you preached you know Jesus lordship you know in your hearts and in your church and in your families, um, but but you you need to engage the the culture and you need you know what I mean. And so it's I just I, the more. The more I do this ministry thing, the more I realize that it's just, it's a tall order to be faithful. Faithfulness is not one, it's just not one thing. Faithfulness is, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff that Jesus wants us to do. The Bible's a big book. There's a lot of stuff. So, all right, let me, let me get to another question. So um, for you and just in general, but if, if there's a pastor who's thinking about, you know, um, answering a, 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 a ministry call to a local church that's kind of gotten off the rails. And uh, what are some of the first things, you know, and for yourself particularly, what are some of the first things that you're like, I've got to do blank? And then kind of a reverse side of the question, uh, what are some things that you're like, I know I need to do this, but I feel very um, confident that I need to wait, that I don't need to do this now. What are are some of 
things that first things to be done and then things that must be done, uh, but it would be perhaps unwise to do right away? Yeah, that really good question. Because I, I think that coming in to Del Cerro, I had, I, you know, I saw the polity of the church and I saw that this is nowhere to be found in scripture. Um, you see different people in leadership that you want out. <laughs> um, the, the way that the worship service is, I think, you know, when I got there, it, it was hard to describe it as reverent. Um, you know, that, that, that idea that we're actually before the throne of God in worship. I don't think that was there. There was a lot of performance mentality. Um, I think one of the things that you have to do going in is come in and preach the word. Um, with no, out of the things that I know I did wrong and the things I know I did right, I know I did that part right. Because what, you, what that exposes very quickly is you will see, if you begin to preach the word faithfully, and I'm talking expository preaching, where you're verse by verse exposition, you're exposing people's hearts to God's word. The people who are responding to that with joy and as if it is a fresh drink of water that they haven't had in a long time, you will see, like that will, it'll happen. You'll see those people. And the people who have no taste for it, they, they will respond to it uh, very negatively. Yeah. And, and if you keep preaching it and keep preaching it, the people that you want gone um, because you know that they are a hindrance to the church, they'll just leave. Mm. There's no, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear God's word preached to them. They might stick around for a while and some might have a, uh, they might be losing more by leaving. And so they, they would stick around a lot longer, but, um, but that, that first wave of people that leave mostly leave because they don't like the preaching. What about people that, that have been there longer than you, which would be everyone? But like, what, what about those people, that group of people that have been there for 30 years, right? So like as a church planter, you know, there, there's people who leave all the time. But as a church planter, my, my church has only existed for seven years, right? So nobody's been there that long. Right. I mean, the longest you could have been there is seven years. So there's there's just less. Right. It's not like, you know, my kids were baptized in this church. You know, I mean, we uh, there are kids that are baptized in our, our, our church. But but it's not like, you know, we were married in this church 20 years ago. and We've been here for, you know, that like we took out a second mortgage on our home, you know, back in the 80s to help the church buy this property. You know, those kind of things like that's just uh, there's just a lot more. And none of those are necessarily gospel things. Right. So like you can do all those things and, and, and be unregenerate you know, not even be a Christian. But my point is to say, in, in your context with a church that's existed for decades and, and people who have been members, maybe not healthy members, maybe not even regenerate members, but, but you know, in, in practical terms, members belonging to that church with a stake in that church for decades. So you're saying, I, I come in, I do expositional preaching and people, some people have a taste for, you know, immediately the lines begin to be drawn in the sand. And I can see it begins to separate the men from the boys because some people, it's like they've been starving and all of a sudden they're getting food for the first time and they're excited and you get, their eyes lighten like Jonathan when he tastes the honey on the end of his staff, like that you see that life come back into their eyes. Other people hate it and leave. My question is, what about the people who hate it and they say, Dustin, you should leave. I've been here for 30 years. I'm not leaving. 
but I'm also not changing. What do you do with that person? They're not leaving, and they're also not changing. Did you have some of that? Of that. You know, I had a few. This church uh, had been through a number of splits in the past. Mm. And so with that go uh, more of what you're talking about. I think there, there was a split in the uh, 90s, late 90s or something like that, um, that took the majority of the church. And and with that went the majority of the uh, charter members of the church. There were still some left. Mm-hmm. Um, they after that first big split, I think there was another smaller split a little bit later on. They some of them went there. There was a pastor with a moral failing. Some of them went at that point. When I got to this church, as far as people who had we're talking charter members, people who had been there since 1958. There were three. Oh, okay. Uh, and so it wasn't um, too big of a deal. Um, the 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 people who've been there thirty or so years, yes, there were some um, troublemakers in that crowd. But again, the church had been through enough splits to where uh, they had. I don't know how to describe it. Uh, they, I guess they were weary. Yeah. yeah. And so they, yeah. they just didn't have the energy to, to fight. And, um, that is the, the grace of God <laughs> for yeah. me and my family. Um, but I know that there were a, a few that maybe had not been there that long, maybe 20 or so years. Um, o- only one wanted me gone, um, and, okay. and tried to, to make a sustained effort. But, um, I had enough support by that time. That was probably about nine months in. Uh, maybe a little bit longer. I had enough support at that point to where uh, he wasn't given a hearing at all. Praise God. And he ended, up, he ended up leaving. Yeah. So first thing you do when you arrive, you start expositional preaching. You start preaching the Absolutely. word. Absolutely. Um, yep. One thing. So the second half of that question, what what's at least one thing that you, um, not something that you never do, right? So like, I'm not asking for, you know, like as a pastor, you should never uh, cheat on your wife, right? I'm talking things that like you you do want to do, like expositional preaching, maybe not that caliber, but something that you do want to do. It's right to do. It's biblical to do, but you don't want to do right away. Can you think of anything like that? Yeah, I think changing the bylaws is something that uh, for those of us who who know that there is a, a way that God has designed the church to be managed and um, and led. We have strong convictions about. I know you have strong convictions about. I have very strong convictions about that, and it's very tempting to come in and want to change that. Um, But the biggest, the biggest slowdown to that um, are are natural slowdowns. Well, for one, you know, most bylaws take, especially old Baptist polity, uh, the the bylaws take a long time to change. There, there are committees that have to be formed, and there are. gradual changes that must take place. So you have that like natural political slowdown to it, but then you also have the, the limiting factor of qualified elders, right? Right. So, so if you come in and you've got a committee system and you're looking for qualified elders and there are none, and then you say, but I have to have elders. So you just choose some guys, you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and and it would, would, would serve the church in no ways. And so I think a slower preaching the word, 
finding those guys who are responding to the word positively right. and then investing right. in them, discipling them. And so, I mean, we're still not, we're two, more than two years in and we're still not at to the point where, where I'm confident that a bylaws change, like now is the time. Um, right. We, yeah. I, I have a building cadre of men who are, I believe, qualified to elder in the church. Um, one of the yep. issues I'm running into is that, again, you have some older guys uh, who, who you want your older, that's why they're called elders, you want your older guys leading. But, but the more qualified, more uh, biblically gifted in teaching, um, or spiritually gifted in teaching men that I have are younger. And, and like like twenties, and so yeah. that's not it's not a bad thing. That's a gift. But uh, but to say, well, I'm going to put these twenty somethings above these sixty seventy year olds. Um, I just want to be very careful how we do that, and I want to do that in a way that respects and honors those older men, and and they understand right. it, not right. to where it feels like a you know a coup in any way. Right. Right, not where it feels like in the same way that, you know, Paul writes to Timothy and says, let no one despise you for your youth. You don't want an older generation of your church to think that, that you're showing favoritism, prejudice against them because they're old. You know, that like out with the old, in with the new. There's, a, I mean, the whole racism discussion, all, it, really what it all comes down to, what, what is biblical is um, prejudice. And we can show prejudice for age, we can show prejudice for ethnicity, we can show prejudice for gender, all these different things. And a pastor, one of the qualifications, ironically, for, for an elder is that, uh, that he's not partial. He's not given to partiality. And, um, you know, that the elders, you know, if an elder's caught in a transgression and needs to be uh, rebuked, that, you know, it says, like, do it in front of them all publicly without showing favoritism. And so that's the last, so I 100% agree with you. That's the last thing you want to do as a new senior pastor in your local flock um, do anything that where people would be tempted to think that you are conducting yourself as an elder in the case of appointing new elders uh, through through a lens of favoritism prejudice uh, those kinds of things so but that's that's such a challenge man I've, I've literally thought like and I don't know if it's unique to just the church in America because of just some some ways that the church got off the rails you know in, in decades past. But man, there are so many churches, and I'm going to say this in a, a bit of an extreme way, but I know you'll, you'll understand the sentiment. There's so many churches in our nation today where I almost feel like you need to have a placard on the front door when people are walking in that says, Titus 2 has no bearing here. Oh. Like, it, it's, it's sad. Like, I literally, like, I feel like there's so many churches where if I was you, if I was a pastor, I would want to warn. I would, I literally would want to warn. I see a young couple in their twenties coming in. I would want to warn them, like almost pull them aside and say, Hey, I, I know that you're probably desperate to have spiritual fathers and mothers. And you're going to see a lot of gray haired people in this context, people in their fifties and sixties and seventies. And you're going to be really tempted in, in a ordinarily righteous fashion to, to seek those people out and want to be taken under their wing. And, and sadly, because it is nothing, nothing short of a tragedy. If you do that, you'll be worse off. You would do better by finding some of the other 20 and 30 year olds and just doing an iron sharpening iron thing because these guys are actually further along in their doctrine and their theology and even character. Like, how sad is that? How, how sad is that? That like, as a pastor, now I don't have anything near your situation, but even as a church planter, I've, I've felt at times 
because I think it's a nationwide epidemic. And that's not to say that there aren't older faithful Christians in our nation. Me and you only know what we know because older men hung in there, right? So a lot, a lot, I think, fell off. But there, there was a remnant, and those are the guys who trained us. Those are the guys that me and you, we, we read their books, you know, we, we're taught by them, and that's the only reason we're, we're, where we're at. But, but in general, it seems like at a large degree, um, man, there's just, I, I don't know, there's just this disconnect to where, it's just it, to me, it seems like it, it, was, it really was that doctrine divides mantra. That there was such a push for ecumenicalism. There was such a push for unity. I think part of it is the dispensational pre-mill kind of idea that, you know, Jesus is going to return. The only hang-up is evangelism, the Great Commission. We've got to get the gospel out to all nations. And what's the big thing stopping us from getting the gospel out to all nations? Well, part of it is because we can't get along, because we have so many factions and divisions. And if we could just pull together our resources, get rid of this division, then we could get to what really matters, which is just Jesus and Him crucified, reach the nations, and, and He'll return, and all these... And so, so one of the things that we got rid of to, to get rid of these dividing walls was doctrine. Like, stop making, you know, mountains out of molehills. Stop, uh, stop making such a big deal about doctrine. And it's like we almost, like in America, seem to have like this entire generation, kind of our, our parents' and grandparents' generation, that just kind of just had a bad taste in their mouth about doctrine. And then you see our generation, well, guys like me and you. I think, I think I, it wasn't... It, in my experience, so I, yeah, I think yeah, you're right, but but I don't know if they ever received it. They never were seeing God's word as a place where they would go for what do we understand about who Jesus or, is or yeah. how he fits into the, the grand scheme of things. It right. was more the Bible tells you about salvation, and salvation is all we need to know about. And so yeah. it was just very shallow. And so, but I will say uh, on that. That older generation now, the, that remnant that you're talking about, they are just beginning to taste it. They're beginning to yeah. see it. And in and, and, and our church, that, that those older men especially are beginning to – it's catching. And, and to where they're, they're, they're opening up their eyes to the word and, and they're getting excited about it and they want to hear what's next every week. And they're encouraging one another. And, and one of the things just organically that's happening is – two or three guys are getting together to read their Bibles together and mm. challenging mm. one another and praying for one another. I didn't even make a program to do that. Right. You're just giving them a taste for the word and they begin to see the riches of it and they get into it. And that the Holy Spirit kind of takes over at that point as yep. he transforms their hearts as they see Christ yep. in his word. Um, yeah, that's yeah. praise God for that. You're you're right. Like, I I I think God's doing some amazing things. And I I just I've just seen that. I think you know people are coming around. I think you're right. An older generation coming around and growing and 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 gaining a taste and and uh, an appetite uh, for doctrine and and meditating on on the deeper things of God, which is wonderful. And I, I just think for a season, though, in my experience, it just seems like that was kind of absent. And it's and in my assessment, what it did with the younger generation was um, when that younger generation kind of hit adulthood, young adulthood, and started experiencing difficulties, challenges, you know, uh, even some national level things like 9-11, you know, and, and then things that are going on in our nation today, it 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 brought up in our generation like real, deep, genuine questions. And and then when we looked to those fathers and mothers who kind of just didn't have 
a lot of doctrine. There weren't, there were just kind of cookie cutter cliche answers for those questions. And so what happened, at least my experience is it, it either um, took all those kids who grew up in youth group, right? You know, and, and, and a church, you know, that typical kind of American church, they either left the faith, you know, or, um, or all of a sudden they got really excited about Calvinism and John Piper and R.C. You know what I mean? Because, but they needed, so they either determined Christianity doesn't have the answers or by God's grace, they discovered, oh, there are people in the faith that do have these answers. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden it just became, that's, I think a lot of where this resurgence with reform doctrine and these kind of things came from. And so now it's like this resurgence among, among young people. And now like what you're doing, it seems like it's like a lot of guys now like trying to, okay, like we've had this resurgence now we're trying to go back and, uh, and trying to excite mom and dad, um, about, about the doctrines of grace and about, you know what I mean? That those kind of things. And you're saying, I'm encouraged to hear what you're saying. You're saying as a guy who's in the trenches doing that right now, you're saying that the proverbial mom and dad um, is actually, uh, some of them don't like it, but a, a lot of them are receiving it and responding well and saying, Thank, thanks, thanks, kid. Uh, I, yeah. I like this yes. too. <laughs> right, cool. that's right. That's great. Yeah. Well, what what else do you got for us? Any other thoughts on this subject? We're gonna I'm gonna have you come back uh, real briefly for our, our bonus edition. We got some bonus questions, um, but do you, do you have any extra thoughts? The only other question that I had was just, could, could we apply it to Christians? You know, because because my thought is like we've talked. You know, both of us are pastors, and so it's so easy for you and I to just talk. But but you know, me and you, we we get the pulpit. We have we have some limelight. We have some authority to where it's like, all right, we're gonna revitalize this church. We're gonna make some changes. But what, what about that, that just Christian who's not a pastor, who's just sitting in the pew, who's like, I don't, I don't feel like I have a lot of influence. I don't feel like I have a lot of authority to make changes. Um, and so they're thinking like, maybe the only thing I can do is, is leave. What, what, what would you say? I guess that maybe that could be our final question. But what would you, the way you and I might feel with like being in a big denomination, right? So if we're a part of a big denomination or a big network, you and I, might feel like small fish and we might say, man, maybe I should just leave this denomination if we feel like it's going kind of compromising because we don't feel like we have a voice. Whereas somebody else who's, you know, who has that that collateral and, and that authority, they're like, I'm going to stay and make a difference. So now applying that like at the local church level with someone who's not a pastor, just a member, did you have some people like that in your church who who stayed? And did you ever have the I, question I in the I back do. of your mind? So, like, why did you stay? You know, I'm glad yeah, you're here, but why... There are some in that regard. So I, I, would, I think there's two different situations. If you're in a church that, you know, is going through that transition and you've talked to the pastor, you know where his heart is, you know that he's preaching the word, you know that, that, that when you go on a Sunday morning, maybe the music is terrible, maybe there's nobody your age there, but you know that the word is being preached there, mm-hmm. stick it out. Um, uh, so, so for that group, you know, maybe maybe you've got young kids and you're like, oh, but I want a place where where my kids can have other kids their age. Well, if yeah. everybody does that, then that church never has a chance. Right. You're right. So you're if right. the church is undergoing revitalization and you're seeing that happen, you know that the pastor's got uh, convictions from God's word and, and he's he's got a, at least a plan. Um, I would say stay if if you're in a church that. Isn't that way. Um, you know, you go and it's a 15, 20 minute sermon and you're not sure if he even had his Bible open uh, or you're not hearing 
you know, you read the text and you're not hearing what the text says from the pulpit. You know, there's some churches that call themselves expository and you go and you, you read the text and then you hear the, the pastor with his Hawaiian shirt on and uh, you think that's not what that text says. In mm -hmm. fact, that's not at all what that says. So if you're getting that leave, there's no, yeah. you have no obligation yeah. there. You need to be in a church where you're hearing God's word preach because that's where the spirit is going to be working in transforming your life and the life of your family. So no matter how great your community there is, I would say there's there's no reason to stay um, mm. yep. that's at helpful. all. Yeah. So it really just comes down to the to the word. Um, if if it's ministries, if it's some of these auxiliary, and I think that's pro maybe that's the problem is we've just we've made too many peripheral things central. And and at the end of the day, children's ministry, not to say that, that, that there's maybe no virtue, but but just to say that at the end of the day, that that is peripheral. Uh, we, we have the ordinary means of grace, right? It's kind of back to like the John Calvin thing. Wherever the word is rightly preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, there a church of God exists, even if it swarms with many faults. And I think just in our nation, we just, we're so much about comfort and convenience and entertainment, and these kinds of things that we've just, we've forgotten the main and the plain, you know? So yeah, I think that's, that's really helpful. So important. I think if you're that one of the things that this church had for, for many years is they they were bought into the consumer mindset. And so yeah. the programs, it was one program after another to try to get everything rolling, but they couldn't right. do it. Right. It wouldn't right. happen. And even if they had, I mean, there's many churches in our in our city that are have everything you could ask for in terms of um, engagement and community and small groups and all this kind of stuff. But then when you, you go and hear the, the preaching and it's just. Right. Not there. Well, because so. without the preaching, and I think that's what Christians forget, without the preaching, all those other things, like the children's ministry, you can do that not just on Sunday, but Monday through Friday. It's called a daycare, right? Or yeah. like with music, you, you can do music. It's called a concert, right? There are just like everything else the world has. And typically because Christians, you know, have kind of in, in many ways forfeited the culture war, you know, because of that, like the world not only does it also have it, but it, it usually has it better. The world has like better music and, and better things for kids and better this and better that. So if, if, if it's not for the word preached, then, then really everything we're doing is something that can be found somewhere outside of the church. And, and, and so now we're just, we're competing. The churches compete with its programs it's extracurriculars. We're just we're competing against all these other institutions, and and, and many of these institutions they're just better at it than we are, and they, they have more resources Absolutely. than we have. Yeah. So the the one thing we have is the word. That's what yes. we have. We have preaching. You, you were saying right. something. Go, go back to you. I was just saying you cannot outworld the world. That that yeah, that's good. That's a fool's errand, and, and to to try to do that as a church when we have the one thing the world doesn't have. That's stupid. Right. Like, yeah, why, yeah, yeah. why would you even try? Right. I, I, it blows my mind that, that we as a church has in, in America at large have been trying to do that for the last right. 50 years, thinking right. that we can win people over. Well, all we're doing right. is getting unregenerate people into the building. Yep, and right. then nothing changes. Yep, and then their right. kids leave and want nothing to do with Christianity because right. they weren't ever hearing what Christianity is. Right. And that, yeah, that, that's, that's the sad that's thing bad. is we have a younger generation that's re they're not even rejecting Christianity. They're rejecting something that, that masked itself, that posed as Christianity that wasn't. 
So they're, that's they're exactly right. so that's and that's why we gotta preach the gospel because there's a lot of people who they they think that they rejected Christianity, but they actually were never they never actually encountered Christ. Right. And so and, and so, so when you do that, yep. the, just just a warning to any church revivalizers out there who are thinking when you do that, and we talked about this a little bit, your church is going to shrink. Yeah. It's going to shrink. You're not you're. The, the idea that you're going to grow your church by your awesome preaching is just right. get that thought out of your mind. There are really, really good preachers that I know whose churches are not exploding. Right. Because not everybody wants to hear that. Right. Not everybody wants yep. to hear it. And, and so there are ways it gets to hear worse before grow. it gets better. What's that? You're saying, like, be prepared for it to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, well, in numbers wise, but in, in the long run, it's going to be better, smaller. Yeah. And then, and then the reason why people will begin to come slowly, slow growth, is is going to be because this is a place where God's word is rightly preached, okay. and then, yeah. and then you get the people that you want at your church. Right. Uh, there's still going to be sin there, and there's still going to be problems, and yeah. I mean, that that's just goes with having human beings in your church. But the people that you want there, that are that are on mission with you, that are there because they understand why that church exists, mm -hmm. uh, it'll be a lot easier for you in the long run. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, um, here's our bonus question. So we're going to go ahead and, and end our interview, uh, but I want to go ahead and whet our listeners' appetite. So this is for our club members, our responders. If you're not a responder, go ahead and uh, sign up, become a responder. Uh, we, we do some uh, kind of offline extra content for our club members. So the first one is going to be, uh, did you experience an exodus? We've already been talking about it, but maybe a little bit more info on an exodus of sorts of church members when you first began uh, revitalizing the church and uh, and maybe giving us a little bit of the behind the scenes nitty gritty about uh, why that was and, and how maybe that even affected your family. How, how did that affect your kids, your wife? How, how, did, how did your family feel about dad not being liked um, by, by people in the church? And then a second question is, um, how, how can Christians discern? Because we talked about like, you know, when is the, the jumping off point where a Christian should leave a church? Uh, but at the same time, I'm sure you were incredibly grateful for the fact that when you arrived, there were some genuine born again believers there that you know whose eyes did immediately brighten the first time you started preaching the word and so it's like this sense of like you're grateful they're there but i guess my question this bonus question will be but should they have been there like it like is is there a calling in the same way there might be a call for a pastor to go and revitalize a church is there a calling for a christian to stay in a in a dying church to be an agent of revitalization, staying and, and, and praying maybe that God would send a new pastor, those kinds of things. So is, is that even a biblical category? So those are my two bonus questions, uh, but let's go ahead and conclude our interview for now. And uh, as we kind of sign off here, could you just tell people, Dustin, uh, how they can follow you or keep up with your ministry, things that you're doing, how they could uh, just be praying and supporting you? Yeah, our, our church website is dcbc.org. And everything you need, you can find there. Um, so we, we do have a podcast. If you just search Del Cerro, that's D-E-L-C-E-R-R-O. And our podcast hall has uh, our sermons uploaded weekly. Um, Great. And also some of the stuff that we do on Wednesdays. So we have some Wednesday Bible studies that, that, that you can follow us there as well. But um, as, you, as I know you would say, more importantly is find a healthy local church. Of course, right. always happy to have someone. Uh, from the San Diego area, come visit us if they're not already a part of a healthy local church. But um, Del Cerro. Amen. 
Well, thanks, Dustin, for your time. Appreciate you coming on the show. You have, brother. Good talk to you. As a special thank you for your gift of any amount, we'll be happy to send you a free digital book from our store. To access this offer, visit rightresponseministries.com slash offer. We highly recommend Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? If you or someone you know has wrestled with doubts about the love of God, this would be a great resource. As a reminder, to get this offer, go to rightresponseministries.com slash offer. And thank you for your generous support.